BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Well, wherever you are and whatever time it is, thanks for tuning in to LDR. It's Wednesday, July 7th. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the line drive radio board here on Long Island, the great state of New York. And as always, I'm hanging out, talking some baseball, ready to talk some baseball, with my LDR teammate, Mr. Tad Bamford, from the great city of Chicago. Things are going tough in Cubs land, but hey, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Oh, we gotta go. We gotta go straight to the straight to the graveyard, huh? <laughs> Barry and the boys in blue. I mean, look, the uh, the wheels are off on the north side, and uh, it's gotten ugly. But you know what? We've still got uh, we've still got at least one team in first place, so at least we've got that going for us, which is nice. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's becoming an increasingly fascinating time to be a baseball fan in Chicago on both sides of town. Lots of news on both both ends of the diamonds here in Chicago. Yeah, and s- similar things going on here in New York, baby. It's the two teams are going in different directions Ooh. as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Two, two, uh, the two teams uh, that people had high hopes for running away with divisions that are massively underwhelming. And the teams with the big money payrolls trying to figure out how to get out of their own way. Go figure. Go yeah. figure at all. So look, pal, I got a quick question before we start the show here. I was, uh, as you guys, as you know, and as for our listeners, uh, I'm also a musician. So I'm playing here on Long Island last night doing a solo show, and we had a lightning storm here. And obviously the uh, the Mets game was canceled. So up on the TVs, at the, uh, I was playing at this really nice craft brewery last night. So the Mets broadcast is, is showing, you know, as they always do, great moments in Mets sports and all that other stuff. So they're showing, um, I guess it was the Willie Randolph years. And they uh, were playing a few games against the Cubs, and I completely forgot that Lou Pinella was oh, behind yeah. the bench there for the Cubbies. And I oh, wanted yeah. to ask you, what are your memories of the great Lou P managing your Chicago Cubs, baby? <laughs> uh well, as was the case for 108 years, uh, disappointment. Uh, high hopes being dashed kind of feels way too close to home at this point. Uh, but you know what? Lou, Lou was a, a big swing by the organization. Uh, he brought that temper that everyone loves him for. 
um, to the bench, uh, some really exciting ejections. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at some of the guys they've had in Chicago who, especially in the last 40 years who, you know, led some teams that had a lot of talent, Don Zimmer, Don Baylor, Lou Pinella, Dusty Baker, you know, incredibly respected names in baseball who weren't able to do what Joe Madden was able to accomplish. So, um, you know, it's one of those uh, one of those periods in Chicago Cubs history that uh, at times you were waiting for the manager to do something because the bats or the arms weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Lou. Lou Pinella. Waiting for the volcano to erupt. Man. And, that, you know, it's weird. You know, you know, you had Lou Pinella there, obviously a uh, famous Yankee there, and the Cubs, and then you had Willie Randolph, which was a trip here when he managed the Mets, you know, coming over. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. All the things that twist and turn, and then obviously Tory, you know, going over and, and taking the Yanks to all their magic uh, in the 90s there in the early 2000s. It's uh. And then seeing uh, seeing Donnie Ballgame show up in either a Dodgers or now Marlins jersey, uh, you know, I kind of wish he'd, you know, go back to the, you know, throw the mustache back on just for the sake of having one. But, uh, you know, apparently, apparently managers don't do lip sweaters either, but yeah, it's, uh, lots of, lots of former New Yorkers, uh, getting their, getting their hacks as a manager, uh, not necessarily with the team that they were best known for. I mean, Buck Showalter's had a couple pretty good stints as well. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of surprised Showalter hasn't gotten another gig. Yeah, that is kind of weird. We should uh, we should talk about that one of these shows here. It's where the uh, which where where managers former managers are right now and where they could maybe help a team out one way or the other. But we've talked about this, you know, since the season started. You know, getting past this, um, you know, we're out of June and um, you know, getting into the eighty ninety game mark of the season right now, right before the All Star game next week. And you wonder, you know, we've talked about um, buyers and sellers coming up. And also, you know, where managerial changes might be made as well, too. And, you know, Tab, I guess another real quick before we get into our main show here today is um, what's the history on that? You know, we, we it came up with the Yankees here, obviously, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's it's almost like a traditional thing with the Yankees that they don't fire their managers in season. They usually do it off season. Yeah, what do you Cashman's recall? never fired a manager in season. Yeah, so... Um, What's your take on that in terms of, uh, well, maybe you can think of somebody who's been, you know, hacked here or, out of, uh, you know, scooped out of a organization because it was so bad. Um, you know, you look at Arizona right now, but uh, your take on that in terms of um, how that's done in baseball as opposed to other sports. Basketball coaches getting fired, uh, NHL coaches getting fired, football coaches getting fired, you know, uh, during the season uh, up against uh, how baseball does it. I mean, I think – where you're at right now in Major League Baseball, I just it's hard to interview the next guy during a season if you want to hire someone from another organization. And the interim tag is is a tough, tough burden to bear because you've got all the pressure in the world. But at the same time, if you make that change, the wheels have clearly fallen off and you're you're making a decision because of what you're seeing on the field. And. I think the reason you don't see as many managers getting run in season anymore is because I think a lot of front offices and ownership groups are just a lot more honest with themselves about the state of affairs with their team. 
you know, right now in Major League Baseball, you have buyers and sellers that are almost defined when the season begins. And the season can play out one way or another for every team. But usually you got a pretty good idea of where they're going to end up. And, you know, when I look at managers who could potentially be on the hot seat, there are really three guys that I, I three teams that have so massively underwhelmed that you'd think about it. And at this moment, I think David Ross in Chicago, Aaron Boone with the Yankees, and Rocco Baldelli in Minnesota. And, you know, you've already heard the, uh, you know, the nail, the first nail in the coffin for poor Aaron Boone being the vote of confidence from ownership. <laughs> um, but again, Cashman's got a history of never making a change. Uh, Raw season is second season with the Cubs. Um, I think if, if the front office there is completely honest, when you trade you Darvish in the offseason, you are signaling that you are starting to enter a transition phase as an organization. And even though the Cubs were tied for first as recently as a couple weeks ago um, and went into Dodger Stadium and threw the first combined no-hitter in the history of the franchise, they haven't won a game since. They're, they're an L11 right now uh, when you look at the standings. I think there's the Chicago Cubs front office has to be real with themselves and understand that it's a roster construction problem, not a manager problem, uh, which is basically the rationale that was given by ownership, uh, though they more Hal Steinbrenner more pointed, you want to call it a finger, middle finger, perhaps big neon arrow at the players to do their jobs. Uh, but it's a roster construction issue in both places. The one that fascinates me is Minnesota. People thought the expectations were that they were going to be the only team in the American League Central to really push the White Sox this year. Cleveland, Tito Francona is a you know he's a Jedi when it comes to maximizing what he gets out of players. Um, so they're actually hanging around a little bit, even with all the injuries that the White Sox have had. But the Twins have dealt with so many injuries. I really lean towards roster construction problems there. A lot of people respect the hell out of Rocco Baldelli. I can't imagine that they would make a change, but given the way that they made veteran moves, adding Josh Donaldson, retooling their bullpen, bringing in Andrelton Simmons to play short, you know, the thought process in Minnesota was to go for it, and it's failed miserably. And so he would be a guy that I would look at as possibly being a guy to go in season. But again, you don't see it as much because most of these ownership groups and front offices know on opening day if they're in go-for-it mode or retool mode. And you've really got to fall off and, and disappoint for there to be a change made. But, you know, I think especially, you know, Minnesota, Byron Buxton means so much to that team and him not being able to stay healthy is, it has just crushed them. Uh, and then, you know, Chicago's dealt with some injuries, but that's a roster construction problem. And that's a roster construct that started with you Darvish being traded out of town. What, what are the white, what do the Cubs need right now? They need a, a lockdown ace that strikes people out. And that was you, Darvish. And he's gone. And they made the decision for him to be gone. It wasn't a free agency walking away because we can't afford him or don't offer him a deal. That was the front office signal that they were going to retool and look to the future and traded the guy that would have likely been you know, a game changer for them on the mound. And with the Yankees, I mean... You know, I, I agree with Hal Steinbrenner. At some point, you got to say players do your damn job. But, you know, Aaron Boone's not getting a lot out of those guys. And I don't think it's Aaron Boone's fault. 
But those are the three guys that I'd look at as, as possibly being on the hot seat. You know, we, we've talked about the situation in Arizona and the fact that it looks like they've quit. Um, you know, I don't necessarily chalk that up as a manager problem. If you're a professional athlete making millions of dollars, you got to have some self-respect. You know, I, I always think back to what Michael Jordan said about, I'm going to show up every night because people paid money to watch me. And no one's showing up to watch Eduardo Escobar, per se, but you've got to have some pride in your craft. And if you don't want to be there, you have to play well enough for there to be a, be trade value in you. And then at, politely ask for, you know, an exit strategy. And that's not happening in Arizona, but... I, I again, I think you see more moves like this happening in the offseason because you can fully interview the person that you would want to have next. Uh, ask for you're not going to get permission from the Cleveland Indians to interview Sandy Alomar Jr. Mm-hmm. in July. Uh, if you do, I mean, that would be a bold statement. I can't imagine that they would. So, a lot of these, you know, top tier candidates that you'd want to go talk to, you're not going to bring in a guy like Buck Showalter in July. Um, you know, that that just doesn't happen so he'd need time um, to stretch anyway no oh, i mean he'd have to you know especially getting back into those uniform pants <laughs> exactly he's been wearing a he's been wearing a comf- well well tailored suit for way too long so uh so yeah i mean i that i think that's why you don't see it um that's the reason that's you, the I main mean, reason I, these guys I, if don't manager's make gonna, i could see the manager in arizona the manager in colorado just saying you know what it's been fun but i'm out uh I, I didn't come here to babysit a tire fire. Um, but again, there, there are only so many jobs. And if you've got one of those jobs, it's kind of hard to give it up. Uh, you want to, you know, do your best so that if the, if it does end after this year, you're at least marketing yourself as a free agent, just like the players would. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it, it's hard to, it's hard to make a big change. Uh, and usually, it, especially in July, you're, you're going to see players traded before you'll see a, a managerial change. And sometimes you might see a manager uh, have his, uh, have himself relieved of his duties closer to, you know, end of August, September than the end of the season. If you want to give the potential, you know, in-house answer, heir apparent, if you will, some run with the team to see how they do, you know, maybe a short-term leash interview type process. Um, but I, I really don't see a scenario where, you know, Minnesota, Chicago, or the Yankees, you know, do that in season just because they wouldn't be able to go get the, the next guy that they would theoretically want from outside the organization. And it comes down to the players doing their jobs and having a roster that's built to win. And, you know, the Cubs, I would submit, don't, were not built to win the division this year. They overperformed for three months, and now they're back to where I think people thought they would be, as disappointing as 11 straight losses are. The Yankees, I think they're, they've got some pretty critical decisions to make in-house, and I think if a change is made there, it, it might start with Brian Cashman, not Aaron Boone. We shall see, and it is. It's a, it's a completely more involved structure in baseball as far as during season as opposed to you know smaller rosters and everything else, especially in hockey and basketball. Uh, football is obviously another beast as well, too, but uh, – um, interesting stuff in terms of, uh, you know, looking at it in terms of changes and what teams have to do uh, when things don't go well during the season. So uh, why don't we uh, take a quick run through the standings here, as we always do. You know, the Yankees, you know, nine and a half back, you know, maybe another reason they don't let Boone go is they're only four and a half back to have the wild card. So 
they're still in the striking distance of uh, making the playoffs. Well, but uh, Garrett Cole needs to find the spin rate that he hasn't had since <laughs> he stopped using rubber cement. Uh, you know what, man? I want to get some popcorn and watch that press conference again. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Spider attack. The, the popcorn, the popcorn going off in the microwave would give you more answers than yes. Garrett Cole did. Very true. All right, AL East, Boston still on top. Uh, Tampa back four and a half, and then you got Toronto and the Yankees there nine and a half back. Baltimore is uh, already thinking about hockey season. Um, Central, your White Sox still in front there. Cleveland six and a half back. Detroit eleven and a half, and then everybody else again looking forward to hockey and football season. As again, well. Minnesota behind Detroit, or three games behind Detroit, and a half game behind Kansas City starting Wednesday's play in dead last place. Yes. In the American League Central. I mean, they, they were supposed to push for the division, and that's not a bottomed-out payroll scenario. No. Uh, so that, that I mean, an 18 and 24 at home is just not, not doing the job. Ugly. Sweeping tumbleweeds off the front of the uh, yeah. stadium steps there in Minnesota, no doubt about it. Uh, we go out west. The Astros uh, in first out there. Uh, love the Oakland A's here. Four and a half back. Seattle, eight games back. Uh, Angels, nine and a half. And then the Texas Rangers in their brand new stadium. Um, there again, looking forward to uh, Houston Texans and Dallas Cowboy football games coming in the fall. We go out to the National League. Uh, Mets still in front there. Four and a half ahead of Philly and four and a half ahead of Washington. Atlanta, five games as well, too. Still kind of tight. Mets uh, have the pressure there to not falter uh, and uh, to stay ahead of that crew. We go out to the Central, my adopted Milwaukee Brewers, six and a half up now on Cincinnati, and uh, eight and a half up on St. Louis and the Chicago Cubs. Man, just disappearing into the into the darkness there. Nine games back, and then Pittsburgh. they're close. They're closer to first than last. <laughs> silver well, lining. I knew you'd find the silver lining in there somewhere. Crop, crops grow out of manure, man. <laughs> and finally, out west, San Francisco. Um, the lead's gotten a little tighter there, but they're, they're half a game up on the Dodgers, three and a half up on the Padres. Rockies there, 16-5. They'll be looking forward to the All-Star break next week and letting somebody else use their baseball stadium. And then finally, Finally, man. watchable baseball returns <laughs> to Denver. And just the number. 30 games back in the West, your beloved, not you personally, but for you Arizona fans, your Arizona Diamondbacks, 30 games back. Let's not sleep on this. Let's not sleep on this, okay? 87 games played. They Their run differential is minus 125. <laughs> that is 20 worse than Pittsburgh. Oh, my God. There are two teams in Major League, three teams in Major League Baseball right now that are more than 100 runs upside down. Baltimore's minus 112. They're the only team in the American League that's 100 runs upside down. Pittsburgh's minus 105, and Arizona's minus 125. But Arizona's on a, a one-game win streak, uh, so and they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, so their arrow is skyrocketing next to the Chicago Cubs right now. Oh, my Lord. Who, at one point, had the only positive run differential in the Central, and they are now minus 20. The wheels have fallen off hard. Well, here, here's one thing, though. I want to swing back a little bit to the American League East uh, at the top there with Tampa chasing Boston and, and trying to hang on to the wild card. They're 13 games over 500. they They're in action right now. Uh, you know, first off, here's hoping that 
for both the Rays and also, uh, you know, the hopeful uh, Tampa Bay Lightning looking to clinch back-to-back Stanley championships in Tampa at some point with Hurricane Elsa uh, heading at Tampa. We're hoping that everybody stays safe down on the west coast of Florida. Doesn't look like it's going to be a big storm, but it's still a hurricane. Don't be stupid. Don't go parade for the lightning. Uh, Celebrate at home. Uh, If you don't have to go to work for a couple days, even better reason for a hangover holiday. But uh, See, folks, Ev's always looking out for you here on LDR. Consider the liver. uh, Avoid flying shrapnel. No, but uh, interesting development here with with Tampa. They called up uh, one of their top prospects. We talked about this. You know, before when Wander Franco got the call, uh, their next top prospect, Vidal Bruyan, got the call uh, yesterday. He's making his major league debut for Tampa today. And as we're recording this show, uh, Tampa's uh, going at it with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, his first major league at bat, RBI single, uh, and then collected his first career stolen base right out of the gate. So uh, when you when you talk about, you know, we were talking about the Yankees and their situation, here's the rock and the hard place for, for the Yankees. Glaber Torres isn't getting younger. Uh, Gio Urshela is what he is. Aaron Judge isn't getting any younger. Giancarlo Stanton isn't getting younger. Gary Sanchez isn't getting better. The pitching staff still has holes. You're chasing, and Tampa just keeps bringing up stud after stud after stud after stud. And now they've got this Bruyan kid who, you know, is playing second base, you know, batting in the middle third of their lineup. They started him batting fifth in his major league debut against a team that's over 500 in Cleveland. Think about that. You know, you, you come in your major league debut, you're not batting eighth or ninth to make it easy on you and easy, and you're batting fifth. And you respond with an RBI single stolen base, and then Kevin Kiermeyer with a two-run single. Um, drove him in. So first RBI, first hit, first run scored, first stolen base, instant impact, just like Wander Franco did. So, you know, as you consider what the Yankees could potentially be thinking, uh, one of the problems that they have is, you know, Boston's in first and they've got a little breathing room, but we've talked almost every week about the youth movement in Toronto and how good they are. And they could be buyers, here before the deadline looking to bolster their bullpen and maybe look at adding an arm or two. And they've certainly got the assets to do it. And so if you're the Yankees, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, is it, does this become like 2016 where you just chalk it up as an, a season that didn't happen and, and move anything that's not nailed down or do you buy and try to go for it? But you know, Tampa, Tampa isn't buying. They're adding from inside and it's just, you know, future star after future star the middle of their infield is going to be Bruyan and Franco for the next six or seven years. That's a problem, especially when, you know, Toronto's looking at the next six or seven years of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette in their infield, Kevin Biggio, you know, and they've got Austin Martin coming, who was a, you know, a high pick out of Vanderbilt if they don't trade him to make a, a big move here to get back into the postseason. So really tough spot for the Yankees because two of the three teams that they're chasing are beginning to integrate the youth movement that we've all been waiting for patiently and watching that day has arrived for Toronto and Tampa. And it looks like they're just going to get better without needing to make any like really massive, significant moves from outside the organization. So tough spot there. 
And, you know, Minnesota might have to look at selling. And if they do, you know, Josh Donaldson, third baseman, got a year left on his deal, might be the third, ba- the more affordable, both financially and from a cost perspective via assets that you'd have to give up, might be the better fit for the Mets fixing their third base situation than Chris Bryant with the Cubs. Um, and then, you know, Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo is a name everybody wants to talk about before the trade deadline. Um, but do they move him or do they keep him? Because I think everyone in the world expects the Texas Rangers, uh, this was going to be a dead year. And most people expect them to be incredibly active in free agency and spend a boatload of money in free agency this winter. Lots of people think they'll go give Trevor Story a deal in the neighborhood of what Frankie Lindor got from the Mets. So, you know, they then become interesting, you know, in the West if they go throw a King's Ransom at a bunch of people. So, you know, the American League is is fascinating right now. I think more so than the National League. In the West, you've got the three alphas and then two dumpster fires. The Central is just smoldering embers at this point. Milwaukee sprinted out to a big lead, and now I think they're really stay healthy and tinker. They made a minor move to get Rowdy Tellez, uh, you know, a big power-hitting, big strikeout guy to play first base for them earlier this week. And then in the East, you know, I think the Braves have been crushed by injuries to their pitching. Washington looked like they're putting it together. Now they've settled a little bit. Philly taking advantage of the Cubs right now. But, I mean, everybody in that division's basically been a 500 team all year, uh, except for Miami, who actually have the best run differential in the division, oddly enough, mm-hmm. at plus 22 in last place. But, again, you know, you when you look at the buyers and the sellers, there are teams that have to make some tough decisions in, in selling. And then the, the biggest question becomes, what do you give up? to go get them if they're a rental or if you look to do, you know, uh, buy to keep. Um, but I think the only division leader right now who should be, there are probably two division leaders right now who can feel pretty good about their state of affairs. I think Milwaukee uh, and the Chicago White Sox, who uh, in devastating news to uh, fans here of Line Drive Radio, uh, your mean Mercedes was demoted um, after hitting my junior high body weight for the better part of a month. Um, and uh, this morning, the White Sox uh, designated Adam Eaton for assignment, which was a bit of a surprise. Uh, signed a one-year $8 million deal and has been absolutely atrocious. Even though he had a big RBI single last night, now he's DFA'd. So maybe he'll be the left-handed bat that the Yankees so desperately crave to make a run. Uh, you know, big neon hell no on that. But, yeah, so you're starting to see some teams tinker, some teams trying to get healthy. But it's, it's all starting to come into focus here as we head towards the All-Star break when GMs don't go on vacation. They get on the phone and start trying to figure out what their immediate future could look like. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, getting back to the race here, uh, doubleheader today against Cleveland as you were mentioned earlier good series coming up against Toronto this weekend before the all-star game and they got a chance here to to you know maybe pick up some ground here with games against Atlanta Baltimore uh, and then Cleveland a full game set there and at the end of the month they've got three against the Yankees and then three against Boston Um, so that'll be interesting to um, see those matchups you know I think the Yankees are just doing it different this year pal I think they just instead of trying to win the division and Draw a lot of attention. I think, you know, they're just trying to, you know, they're going to get the wild card. And just do it a little different this year. Well, they got to figure it out if they're going to get the wild card because yeah. <laughs> Oakland's not going away. I'm dreaming, baby. 
Tampa's not doing? going away. I'm a New York yeah, dreamer. I, you know, but but we've talked about this a bunch this year. The Yankees and the Cubs have the exact same problem. It's roster construction. There's no variety to the approach at the plate. You've got a bunch of swing and miss guys. You've got a bunch of all or nothing guys. And what those teams need is guys who get on base and make things move. You look at the teams that are, you know, playing good ball right now. The Mets have survived injuries because they've got guys putting the ball in play. Houston put the ball in play. The Chicago White Sox put the ball in play. Tampa puts the ball in play. Uh, if you're all or nothing, it's really hard because more times than not, you're going to get nothing. That's just the way that baseball works. If you fail 70% of the time, you could be a Hall of Famer. Just think about that. If you, fa- if you fail 67% of the time, you're one of the best in the game. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't manufacture runs in this day and age, even with you know offense starting to pick back up, mostly at the Cubs' expense, you know, since they took away the sticky stuff on pitchers, you still have to manufacture runs. The way that baseball is played is not live and die by the home run. And the Yankees and Cubs were constructed to live and die with the home run. The Cubs, you know, could have gone out and picked up, you know, a left fielder who could run a little bit, but they went out and got Jock Peterson, who's basically a poor man's Kyle Schwarber. And he's all he's all or nothing. Mm. But he swings left-handed, so that's, you know, that's a plus. Jason Hayward's nothing or nothing at this point. Uh, you know, he's hitting closer to my blood pressure than my body weight right now. So, um, but Hey, that 24.5 million still clears. So God bless the man, nice. but no, you, you've got to put the ball in play. And I think that when we talk about what should concern the Yankees, I think when you look at what Cedric Mullins is doing in Baltimore, that is where the future of the game is going. Cedric Mullins is, is the real deal. I love that kid's game. One of our fantasy picks to click earlier this season. So you're yes. welcome if you took my advice. You're welcome. But uh, but you got to have guys who put it in play. And, and teams that are going with the 90s, early 2000s, lead the league in home runs, are not leading the league in wins this year. No, not at all. And as uh, we swing back out to the uh, Western division there in the National League. Our West Giants, Coast bias. Yeah, the Giants just, uh, you know, sitting there up on top. Like I said, the Dodgers now flipping uh, spots here with their, uh, you know, no doubt, their heated rivals, the San Diego Padres, uh, as these three teams from California kind of go at it. But unfortunately with the Dodgers, even though they've gone 8-2 and two in the last 10, they've got some bigger problems, some bigger issues with one of these guys they signed for lots of money, and that's Mr. Trevor Bauer. And, and this is basically going to be our WTF section today on LDR. And um, I don't know, Tab. You know, he he's he was a big personality to begin with. All the stuff in the off season, teasing the Met fans, all that stuff. He signs for a ton of money here, coming to um, L.A. He's outspoken. He's a bit of a jerk, you know. You know, we've talked about this in the past, but uh, where he's at right now in the headlines is just kind of just uh, creepy and. Unfortunate, concerning, and it's uh, unfortunately just a bad headline here in some other off-the-field headlines throughout MLB this year that uh, continue to uh, rear their ugly heads. But I'll throw it back to you and and your take on what's going on with Mr. Bauer. I mean, the sad thing is that, you know, Trevor Bauer having apparent lack of – respect for a woman probably surprises no one that follows him on Twitter. 
Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, he's a he's a big personality. He's always been outspoken. That goes back to when he was at UCLA with Garrett Cole and the fact that they hated each other as much as they still do. Um, but I mean, the, the allegations that have been levied against him and the depth of detail that's been reported on it uh, is just not acceptable. Um, the uh, earlier. Uh, this morning, uh, the Dodgers updated their giveaway schedule and a Trevor Bauer bobblehead doll was removed from their planned giveaways, um, which is intriguing given the fact that they did not immediately separate themselves from the player given the accusations. Uh, they fully planned on him making his next start over the weekend uh, until it became painfully apparent that he needed to go away in major league baseball gave him a, you know, a week to think about it. And Dave Roberts has said he doesn't expect him back when that seven day hiatus, uh, expires. Um, I mean, look, you've got legal, legal issues that have to be considered here. Uh, Paul, you and I are not privy to what happened in that bedroom. Uh, you know, 50 shades of gray may have been, but it's, Court of public opinion is always a dangerous place to wander uh, because we we don't know abs without with absolute certainty what went on uh, or you know who greenlit what. But what we do know is Trevor Bauer has not denied anything that he's been accused of doing. Tried to pass his off pass it off like it's a lifestyle choice. Tried to pass it off like it's no big deal. Uh, and a woman ended up in the hospital because of it. And he has tried to nonchalantly just play through and continue to be a professional athlete with a hundred million dollar contract. And it's just, it's disconcerting that the Dodgers were as flippant as they were initially with what was reported and what was said about him in his response to it. Um, Dave Stewart, the great uh, Oakland A's pitcher had a few other stops along the way uh, works in the Dodgers organization. He actually uh, boycotted, the uh, anniversary dinner that they had for uh, the uh, 40th anniversary of a World Series championship team, he boycotted it because he was he felt so strongly about the way that the Dodgers organization did not respond to these allegations. Um, so you've even got some internal conflict in that organization. Um, I, I you saw a lot of this from fans when Trevor Bauer was basically courting organizations and not vice versa in the off season, the way that he was toying with fan bases, putting, you know, Mets logo t-shirts up on his website and then taking them down. Um, and a lot of fans had very strong opinions about him. And most of those fans, um, should feel validated. And the, those that, you know, especially did not want him to be associated with their team likely feel validated at this point. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind, you know, it hurts the Dodgers they lose an ace caliber pitcher, a reigning Cy Young winner. You can say that about the Dodgers. They're still half game out of first place. They've still got Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw and Julio Urias uh, and a loaded bullpen and a lineup that goes on for days. I'm not worried about the Dodgers surviving without Trevor Bauer. Uh, I'm worried about the fact that another professional sports organization did not see the immediate concern or feel the need to act uh, quickly and decisively when 
some type of a domestic issue came up. And it reflects poorly on the Dodgers. It reflects poorly on Major League Baseball. And it just it, it's another tough pill to swallow as a professional sports fan or someone who covers the game that professional sports never seem to miss an opportunity to take women for granted, uh, which is garbage. It's crap. And it shouldn't be that way, but professional sports seem to uh, only care about ego and the bottom line. And until it hurts the bottom line, they won't do anything. And, you know, I would encourage fans of no matter the gender that you associate with to let the Dodgers know how you feel about it. Because until it hits their bottom line, they don't care. Uh, and it's really disgusting. So, um, you know, and this is all coming, uh, overshadowing them going to the White House and celebrating being the World Series champions. Uh, and Joe Kelly wearing a mariachi jacket that he traded a jersey for. Uh, and what should have been a really fun, positive celebration has been completely overshadowed by a piece of crap human being who hides behind the fact that he doesn't hide anything and he has a female agent who's just as engaging as he is on social media. Uh, but that doesn't excuse uh, the actions that he's been accused of and has not, again, he has not denied anything that he's been accused of. He's just said, well, I had a permission slip, so it was cool. Um, so another, another, you know, really ugly situation for baseball and professional sports at large that has been completely mishandled uh, at the expense of victims and, uh, again, women. So... Uh, really disgusting, and if Trevor Bauer disappears for the rest of the year, I think baseball is better for it. Uh, if he wasn't able to talk about it on social, I think we'd be even better for it. Um, but here we are, talking about Trevor Bauer uh, not winning a Cy Young Award, but being a terrible human. And uh, just for the little gray window here, and let me just play devil, devil's advocate, not for any excusing anything uh, about Bauer here, but as far as the business side of this and as far as the Dodgers are concerned here, when something like this happens and comes down pretty fast, you know, he's an employee. There are, um, you know, I was looking at the uh, the ESPN column that you sent me to, you know, as far as the contracts, the union, everything else, how this all has to be handled and, and how the front offices have to deal with this and decision-makings and how fast it can come down. And I'm just looking at this here where, you know, He's he's still getting his paycheck right now. Obviously, he's he's almost considered administrative leave, which was adopted under a joint domestic violence policy. So, like, it, it's crazy. Like, you know, this thing, this stuff is already in the contracts. It's in the CBAs here. It's almost like in case something like this comes up, they've already got like some of these plans in place. So, administrative it comes leave, up, but it comes up enough that it's already been addressed. They've already got guidelines for it because it's already been addressed. That's the worst part. We've no, seen guys like a role as Chapman kind take of a, a seat for this. Yeah, what I wanted to do was just kind of put this out there. Like I said, for for me and maybe a lot of other people that they don't realize that this is in um, the CBAs here. So it's adopted under a joint domestic violence domestic violence policy between MLB and MLB, MLB Players Association is not considered a suspension. The player still gets his full salary despite not residing on the active uh, roster. You know, so there's this gray window here where, you know, the facts and all that other stuff and, and, and how an organization has to act. So, look, I'm not I'm not, you know, it's I'm just kind of looking at it from the outside. I'm not condoning it in any way. But I guess what I'm trying to say on the business side of things, when something 
this, you know, you're talking about social media posts here. You're talking about this guy's personal life. It come and it's coming out fast. It's coming out fast in terms of how not only you know do they handle this as a, as a PR thing and get the facts and 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 all that stuff and all the, the criminal element of it and how they're bringing in all the legal issues and everything else. And then yes, the baseball side of it uh, is is secondary, but he is there. They just paid a boatload of money for this guy. He's a pitcher. Like I said, I'm not condoning any of this tab what i'm trying to say is is trying to kind of look at this in terms of uh the business aspect of it in terms of how the organization has to run this down before they finally kind of either you know how they ultimately handle this which is what you're showing your your disappointment with yeah well and and again you're right there there are steps that need to be taken and there there are there's a clearly outlined due diligence that organizations have to go through as defined by the collective bargaining agreement before they can take any type of significant action. Um, but uh, the window of time that the Dodgers used and the way that they handled it while they were allegedly collecting information. Um, and look, I've talked to Dave Roberts about a bunch. Um, I think Dave Roberts is generally a class act and he's handled many situations with, a great deal of candor and humility. Um, but he was in a tough spot. And I don't know if the organization was telling him that, you know, plan to start him on Sunday as usual, or if he just didn't know how to answer the question. So he just kind of went with status quo until something changes. But clearly, if people like Dave Stewart inside the organization are taking a public issue with the way that it's been dealt with, uh, the Dodgers dragged their heels long enough that it reflected poorly on the organization. Um, and you're right. I mean, the, the players fought hard for a lot, a lot of things to be in the current collective bargaining agreement. And there will be even more that they fight over. We've talked about this all year, this winter when they have to come up with a new collective bargaining agreement. Um, Good luck. <laughs> but, but, but the idea of a guy being paid now, if it goes to full, if it goes to the suspension level, that would be without pay. But during the fact-finding element of the timeline, uh, he, you know, he's still entitled to to the money that he's owed. So, you know, tough spot for everything. And you're right. You know, there is the due diligence element of the timeline that they do need to go through some steps legally and from a business perspective to you know dot i's and cross t's per the collective bargaining agreement. But uh, I feel like the Dodgers could have been more direct with how they dealt with it. And I think that their female fans deserve that. Agree, man. Absolutely. 100%. And the last thing here on this uh, ESPN column, too, there have been repeated instances in the past that MLB players under criminal investigation have shifted to indefinite leave uh, to allow time for resolution of the legal matters and for baseball to advance its own inquiries. So there's a whole I mean, lot. Look, of, hey, well, you know, bit. long story short here, Tab. It's an absolute mess, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, and look, here's the thing. Uh, this is not the first time this season mm-hmm. that we've seen a domestic issue brought up. Okay, Marcelo Zuna was signed a four-year, $65 million contract with the Braves before this season. And he was charged earlier at the end of May 
he was charged with a domestic issue. Um, he was already on the injured list with two broken fingers. Uh, but when the issue came up, okay, so the news broke at the end of May, on May 29th. The initial statement from the Atlanta Braves was, we learned of Marcelo Zuna's arrest earlier this evening and immediately informed the commissioner's office the Braves fully support Major League Baseball's policy on domestic violence, which stresses to the fullest that our society cannot and will not tolerate domestic violence in any form. Until the investigation is completed, we will have no further comment. How hard is that? Yeah, well, I agree. Like I said, different organizations handle things differently. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But Atlanta, another team that spent money with expectations of going for it. This is a guy who finished sixth in the MVP voting last year. He was a key component to their batting order this year, and they have not performed well since then. But, uh, and this was this this news broke as the Braves were losing to the Mets by eleven runs. So you need this guy. He's already got a broken hand. This is an important, expensive component to the roster that you've put together for this year, and the Braves immediately sided with the commissioner's office and condemned domestic violence. And the Dodgers for days said, Oh, he'll start on Sunday. We don't know. We don't know all the facts. So we're just going to keep putting them out there. Um, so again, you've got two instances during this 2021 season where an issue of domestic violence came up and one organization immediately condemned it and afforded themselves that timeline of doing the due diligence and moving forward with an investigation while condemning it. And the Dodgers just, eh, you know, so that, 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 that is where my direct frustration with the LA Dodgers comes in. No, it's, it's, it's a great, is you, you had a model of how to deal with it within yep. the confines of the collective bargaining agreement handled less than six weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Which is pathetic that you've got two guys making close to two hundred million combined dollars on their new contracts this season dealing with this. But you you saw an organization deal with it with it swiftly and firmly, and then your response is, "Eh, we're going to the White House. We need him to start on Sunday." Unreal. Not acceptable. Go. Not good enough. Sorry. Yep. Can't no. sugarcoat it, and I'm not going to hide behind the CBA for them botching what should have been a very simple. Not okay does not happen within our organization. We're going to let the commissioner's office sort it out and the legal process play out, but we're not going to stand for it with this organization. But the Dodgers have had issues in the past. There have been allegations against guys like Alex Verdugo, who was traded for Mookie Betts, Julio Urias in the past, and that organization has buried it. They've got a history of burying stuff like this. And it shouldn't surprise anyone who's familiar with the Dodgers' recent past when it comes to domestic issues that they didn't take this seriously or act like they cared because at the end of the day, if you play ball, you're going to play ball and you're going to make money because the Dodgers don't care. And it's it, it shouldn't be good enough for the fans out there. Even if you just got a ring, it should not be good enough. I agree. And uh, like I said, this still has to play out. It's got a long way to go, and we'll see one way or the other if, if the Dodgers change in any way. Uh, most likely not, but... Uh, Anyway, we'll leave it there, and let's um, get out of the muck of Trevor Bauer and uh, 
swing in to the good stuff. And no doubt, this guy, every week, week in and way out, Mr. Shohei Otani, he's going to be a, a pitcher and a DH in the All-Star game on Tuesday. How about that, Mr. Banford? And the home run derby. Staying in Los That's Angeles, right. but staying in Los Angeles, but of Anaheim in this instance. Um, <laughs> you know, I I was stunned, Paul, when it was mentioned on a broadcast that Shohei Otani's 31 home runs have already tied the record for most home runs hit in a season by a Japanese player. Wow. Set by Hideki Matsui of, of your Yankees. Hideki. So. Like, the fact that it's, you know, before the All-Star break, you know, first week of July, he's already tied the record, is breathtaking. Look, he's he's must-see TV. He is Bo Jackson for this generation. Uh, you know, he's doing things at the plate with ease. You know, his swing from the left side, reminiscent almost of Ken Griffey Jr. Um, the ball explodes off the barrel, but then every fifth day he goes out on the mound and dominates like Jacob deGrom. And that's, I think, what makes him so compelling and makes him must-see TV. And I hope he starts. I hope he wins the home run derby. And I hope Major League Baseball celebrates the hell out of it because, again, we've talked about this on every show. The commissioner's office should be marketing and celebrating the incredible players in the game and not worried about pace of play and not worried about sticky junk on pitchers' hands. They should be celebrating how good these young players are and focusing on that. And Shohei Otani is the most exciting player with all due respect to Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna and all these incredible young players. Shohei Otani is the most exciting ticket in baseball today. And if he comes to your town, you should make every effort to have your butt in a seat, either at the stadium, at a pub, if you're cool with that, or at home. You should be watching what this kid can do because he is a not a generational talent. He is having a historic season, and there is no precedent. Even Babe Ruth didn't do offensively and on the mound what, at the same time what Shohei is doing right now. We've never seen it before, and we should be paying attention to it every second that we can because this kid is incredible. And he's, he's only 27 years old, and he's going to be around here for a little while. And it's, it's, you don't, you don't want to be too late to the show. But I think this is something that, you know, you want to buckle in and pay attention to this kid as you've been, you know, letting everybody know here. Because um, I think, you know, this is just, I think this is just a start for him. And I hope, you know, what you're saying here, I hope not only the fan base of MLB, but MLB itself, like I said, continues to just lift this guy up and, and just continue to expose him, you know, in addition to all the other great young stars in the game here, and, and, and like I said, one of the main reasons me and you got together and put this show together is because we're excited about the talent uh, that is in the league right now. And, you know, Shohei is one of them. And this is well, like and, and, But think about this, Paul. It has been a foregone conclusion for almost a decade that Mike Trout is the best player on the planet. Mm-hmm. He's out right now, hurt. But yeah. he was voted an all-star game starter, even though he hasn't been on the field a month. I would submit that he is not the best player on the planet. His teammate Shohei Otani is. Yeah. And shame on the Angels for not having a team around him that's winning. And part of that, I mean, part of that's Anthony Rendon, you know, who's on the injured list for the third time this season. Thanks, fantasy team. Um, 
And he always waits until Tuesday when I have to set the roster on Monday for the week. Um, but, you know, shame on them for not doing more to really support those two special guys with a team around them that can make things interesting because everybody wants to see Mike Trout in October, and I think everyone should want to see Shohei Otani with the brightest lights that you can. And with all due respect to the All-Star game, the lights are bright. They ain't October. And I want to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in October. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if they tinker at the deadline, if they look to buy and try and bolster what they've got for next year. Uh, but I, I would hope, given what we've seen from Shohei this year, and what we know Mike Trout is and can be, that the Angels would make every effort humanly possible to build a team around them that can make it interesting in the West. Because we, as fans, want to see it, and them as players deserve it. Get them in October. It's good for the game. You want to see Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You want to see Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Not as a Bears fan, but you know. Um, but you want to. Everybody's talking about how much they love Chris Paul finally getting to the NBA Finals this year after missing it his entire career as a future Hall of Famer. Mike Trout and Shohei Otani should be in October. But you got it's a team game, and you got to have you know seven, eight, nine, ten other guys that are doing something. And right now they really haven't. So, uh, Angels, do something. Win. Please. Please. For the, for the love of the God, for the love of God, and for the love of the game. <laughs> yeah, seriously, for the love of, make it happen. Well, like I said, more than anything, again, the home room derby, the All Star Game, it's going to be a great place for this kid to get to shine, uh, and hopefully, he just has a, a great, successful, um, you know, just all around, um, you know, appearance here, one way or the other, and and everybody kind of gets it uh, more than anything else because it is it is something, you know. Like I said, you bring up Babe Ruth and the the history here and the and the years and the gap between, you know. And, you know, I got guys like, you know, like Tatis Jr. Fair enough of getting just incredible exposure this year, you know, in terms of his performance and everything else. And um, and Shohei himself, too, is just getting. And I think I think for the most part, other markets are getting it. I mean, uh, you know, when he came in here to New York here last week, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the fan base got in on it with him and stuff, too. And, and I think, like I said, it was something that, um, you know, was. Is, I think I would hope that fan bases are circling the Angels coming into town and hoping that he's, you know, either in the rotation there and obviously getting a swing at the bat at the H spot. But it's great stuff, man. And we're all here indeed. for it. We're all here yes. for it, Tam. <laughs> yes, we want we want more. We want more. And we, we pray more. that they stay healthy. Show show us the show hey. <laughs> indeed. All right. So look, we're uh, just gonna take a quick little break here at LDR as we always do. And we're gonna come back with our Main little feature here today on LDR, and that's uh, we're gonna Tab's gonna take us in the throwback machine with the uh, MLB draft coming up on Sunday night, and we'll take a look back at uh, the class of 2011. We're talking money here, which I always love to talk about on LDR. So, once again, Line Drive Radio right here on Revolver. We'll be right back, so hang in there with us. Once again, thanks for tuning in to LDR, Line Drive Radio. Follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio. And there you can find me and Tab's personal Twitter accounts. We're always on the Twitter. We're Twitter guys. So uh, you can always hang out with us there. So look, buddy. Um, you know, I've always found it weird that the 
MLB draft here is in the middle of the season. You know, being a hockey guy and football guy, you know, NBA, everybody does it like, you know, postseason, before the next season starts, all that other stuff. And here we have the MLB draft this Sunday. So take it away, Tab. What's your take here and what direction you want to go in with this uh, throwback machine? Well, you know, it's exciting. A lot of people are talking about how deep the 2021 draft class is. You've got some really exciting uh, high school players. You know, I think four or five shortstops out of the high school ranks could go in the first round. Uh, you know, lots of people are laughing at the plight of Dabo Sweeney, the football coach at Clemson, because two of his quarterback commits could go in the first round uh, and then have to make a decision if they want to be a Clemson Tiger throwing and or catching the football or go make millions playing baseball. Uh, but when you, when you start talking about deep draft classes, uh, I would submit that the best draft class in my lifetime, and perhaps yours, Paul, uh, happened to be 10 years ago. So we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the 2011 uh, Major League Baseball draft, which when you consider what that's brought to the game, uh, it's really remarkable. Uh, and when you consider how much money they've already made and they're going to make, it becomes breathtaking. So let's let's just spitball a little bit here. Just just looking at the first round, some of the names that you may be a, a familiar with uh, at the big league level uh, that were drafted in the first round in 2011. Number one overall, Garrett Cole. Number three is teammate Trevor Bauer, who we already talked about. Uh, Dylan Bundy, a uh, guy who's not doing as much as we would have liked uh, with the uh, Angels right now is number four. Number six, Anthony Rendon, another current Angel. Uh, Francisco Lindor went eighth. Javier Baez went to the Cubs ninth. George Springer, 11. Uh, Sonny Gray out of Vanderbilt uh, went 18. Jackie Bradley Jr. went 40. Again, in baseball, the first round's a little bit goofy because you get compensation picks if you lose free agents. So it goes, you know, sometimes, I think this year there are 10 compensatory picks at the end of the first round in 2011. I think that there were almost 30, but Jackie Bradley jr. Went 40th Trevor story, 45th Joe Musgrove who threw the first no hitter in Padres history, 46th and Blake Snell on 53rd. So right there, you've got, you know, a dozen guys in the first 53 picks who have made an incredible impression uh, started to establish some really remarkable legacies in Major League Baseball. Garrett Cole signs the richest contract ever for a pitcher, $324 million, nine years with the Yankees. Trevor Bauer gets $102 million for three years. He has a Cy Young at home. Anthony Rendon, $245 million for seven years from the Angels, played a huge part in the Washington Nationals winning the first World Series in franchise history. Francisco Lindor gets the richest contract in the history of any middle infielder or infielder in general. Ten years, $341 million was a huge part of the Indians going to the World Series in 2016. Has been an MVP finalist for the Indians. Uh, now with the Mets, they're hoping that he gets up to that level again. Javier Baez, you know, been an MVP caliber player, was the National League Championship Series co-MVP with John Lester in 2016. Big part of the Cubs winning the World Series. George Springer got six years and $150 million from the Blue Jays before this season started. Obviously, his heroics helped the Astros to win the World Series, and he's got a World Series MVP at home. Trevor Story is going to be a free agent this winter, much like Javier Baez, great player. Blake Snell got five years and $50 million from the Padres. He's got a Cy Young Award at home. 
So you've got MVP candidates, postseason MVP awards, Cy Young awards. Um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr., obviously incredibly important part of what Boston uh, did over the last few years. Sonny Gray has been a really good pitcher for a while. Musgrove, obviously, with the no-hitter. I mean, that's a dozen guys. Any draft class that had that many guys, A, make that much money. Ridiculous. But have that level of success in the majors um, just makes your hair curl. But let's go past the first round. The second round. So Pittsburgh drafted Garrett Cole with the number one overall pick. They started the second round with the 61st overall pick. They took Josh Bell, who was traded to Washington this offseason, but he's been a nice first baseman. Uh, 76th overall, James McCann, uh, who you know had an all-star appearance with the White Sox, uh, got four years and $40 million from the Mets this year. Really nice catcher. Uh, fast forward to the fourth round, Mike Clevenger, who looked like he was on the cusp of finding a Cy Young form, uh, signed a two-year deal after you know requiring Tommy John surgery with the Padres. Another really good player. Then you go to the fifth round. Fifth round, Paul. We, more than 150 names have been called at this point. The 152nd pick, also by the Pittsburgh Pirates, Tyler Glass now. So think about this. The the he's you know unfortunately going under the knife having Tommy John now, but mm-hmm. Tyler Glass now Cy Young caliber pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, huge part of them getting to the World Series last year. He would have been the two starter in Pittsburgh with Garrett Cole as the ace if they had their crap together. Amazing. The 172nd overall pick in 2011. Mookie Betts, who got 12 years and $365 million from the Dodgers. He's got an MVP and a couple rings at home. Uh, And that doesn't end. You know, the 201st overall pick by the White Sox, Marcus Simeon, who's all-star caliber shortstop playing second base with the Blue Jays this year. Blake Trinan's been an all-star closer. He was the 222nd pick in the seventh round. And current Chicago Cubs ace uh, Kyle Hendricks was the 264th player drafted by the Texas Rangers in 2011. And he's in the midst of a four-year $55 million deal. So, and he's been, you know, he's finished in the top four or five for Cy Young uh, in his career as well. So think about this. You've got Glass now and Betts in the fifth round. Hendricks, big part of the Cubs World Series in the eighth round. Marcus Simeon in the sixth. 200 names are called before them. 171 guys went before Mookie Betts, who you would argue when you talk about position players, they're Maybe Trout's the only name that you would list ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you know, including Shohei Otani. You know, though he's mostly uh, you know he's played a little bit outfield, but mostly DH. But when you talk about position players, not including the DH, Mookie Betts maybe one of the top two, three in the game, and he was a hundred and seventy second pick, known more for his bowling acumen than baseball at that point. I mean, Vanderbilt took Tony Kemp over him at second base when they were recruiting. Um, so think about that. The draft class was loaded top to bottom. And here's where on-field, history, accolades, off the field. Let's talk about financial impact. This will be, before opening day next year, a $2 billion, with a B, dollar draft class. $2 billion. With the contracts that we've talked about, if you want to go down to Kyle Hendricks with $55 million for four years, with Mookie Betts, Blake Snell, George Springer, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole. You're already north of $1.7 billion. 
The NBA hasn't had that in one draft class. The NFL hasn't had that in a draft class. The NHL sure as hell hasn't had it in a draft class. I mean, you're talking about $10 million breaking the bank in the National Hockey League, and Marcus Simeon bet on himself and got 18 this year. But, I mean, think about that. A $2 billion draft class. You know me, Tab, man. I've always been... I don't. I mean, MLB must have a, a, a magic money place. I don't know where. I mean, it's astonishing uh, the money here. It's absolutely 106, 100, 160 plus games every year. You got TV rights. You've got national deals. You've got all that money coming in from the gate. You've got twice as many games as the NBA and the NHL do. They've got ten times as many games as the NFL does. But not every stadium is selling out. You know, not no, every team not. is. But I guess, you know, I guess it all adds up that way. I mean, you, you do call it right. Like, I, I get that with football. You got 80, 16, you know, what are they going to do now? 17 games going forward. 70,000 pretty much sold out. And and, and, and obviously the, the NFL really can't be uh, – can't compete with them in terms but of – But it's also, it's also important to keep in mind which cities, which markets are spending the money on these guys. Yeah. Blake yeah. Snell, San Diego. They, they're going for it. Springer, Toronto. Big market, big money. Lindor, New York Mets, big market, big money. He left Cleveland, big market, big money. Rendon left a big market in D.C. and got more money in Anaheim, quasi-L.A. with the Angels. Trevor Bauer, Los Angeles Dodgers, Garrett Cole, New York Yankees, Mookie Betts, turned down big money in Boston to go to L.A. and get paid. So when you say, where's all the money coming from? Jackie Bradley Jr. got $24 million for two years from Milwaukee. Sonny Gray got $30 million for three years from Cincinnati. No, not not every one of these guys is is absolutely breaking the bank, but when you consider it against money that guys are getting in the NHL and a lot of the mid tier guys in the NFL with non guaranteed contracts, um, you know it's just it's astronomical the amount of money that's being thrown around. But when you think about the richest contracts in the history of the game, obviously Tatis is in there. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you look at the biggest deals that were ever written, and Trout's up there, but Mookie Betts, $365 million. Lindor, $341 million. Cole, $324 million. Trevor Bauer, 30, 30, almost, 32, almost $34 million a year. Rendon, $245 million. Trevor Story's going to get a fat check this year. He'll probably, his, his will probably start with a two also. He'll probably be in that Rendon two for two forty seven for 245 range. Javier Baez, you know, the Cubs trade him, or does he, does he want $200 million? He's among the league leaders in home runs and runs batted in right now. The batting average ain't fat, but you know he's he's still putting up. Tyler Glass now two years of arbitration left. If he goes back to being a Cy Young contender when he comes back from Tommy John, that's a guy that could be a two hundred million dollar player. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, think about that. The richest contracts in the history of the game. So many of them from one draft: Mookie Betts, Garrett Cole, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon, and then if you go the average annual value, Trevor Bauer. It's soon to come. Javier Baez and Trevor Story are going to jump in that mix too. Yeah. Just the fact that they all came out of the same draft class is mind-numbing, and that there was so much talent in that draft class, and they've made such an impact on the field, and then they've been rewarded as handsomely as they have been. And they're not all repping the same guy. It's not all Scott Boris getting Chris Bryant to fat check when he leaves Chicago at some point. Different agents, different cities, different teams. So many guys from this draft class, 20 guys have had a major impact on Major League Baseball. 
performed at historic levels, have their names written in the annals of history, and have been paid so much money. This will be a two, I can't say it enough, a $2 billion draft class. It's amazing. Yeah, no, it totally is. Hey, Tab, I got a quick question for you. In MLB, is it revenue sharing amongst the uh, franchises? Uh, it, it is not as heavily dependent on revenue sharing because teams have local t- local rights TV deals. So the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, you've got significantly more money going through the national TV deals that are spread out. Obviously, they've got deals with ESPN and Fox and Turner for games of the week, but usually it's a game of the week. Um, you'll get Monday Night Baseball on ESPN. You might get Wednesday Night Baseball on ESPN, but the money is just smaller because there's so many more games mm-hmm. that the gate drives a lot in Major League Baseball. Uh, not as much, I think, as people think, and sometimes more than people think. Um, but the gate, you've got more money coming from the gate, and uh, you've got more. It's really more driven than what's uh, what's happening with the local market uh, sponsorships, stadium rights deals, the way that teams are building complexes around their stadiums and finding you know on-site and off-site revenue opportunities, and then also uh, just really big local market rights deals. Whether you're the White Sox or the Cubs have their own network, White Sox are still with NBC Sports Chicago, Yankees have their own deal, Mets are on SNY. Those are all... Uh, relatively big money deals, but you're not talking hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars in some instances on long-term rights deals for Major League Baseball because there are so many games that, uh, and you know, with again, with stuff being played outside, rainouts, stuff like that, uh, there's a little bit more more variables involved there, but not nearly as driven by the macro league-wide deals financially as it is the local stuff. But again, that's why we talk about it. Yankees, Mets, Angels, Dodgers, Cubs. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where these big money deals were going. I mean, the the LA Dodgers between Mookie Betts and Trevor Bauer have almost half a billion dollars themselves. They're almost four hundred seventy million dollars locked up between Bauer and Betts. It's, it's amazing. It is. It's um the the money is um. It's just out of this world. I, I would just say I'm going to actually tell my son to put down the hockey stick and start throwing the ball with him because the money's here, folks. Put it in his left hand. Get your, put, in his, put in his go. left hand. Get your little leaguers out there and work them because there is money to be made in Major League Baseball. I ah, You know, we're, we're going to swing back to this eventually, and it, it really is the, the dark cloud uh, on the horizon here, and that is the upcoming CBA. But if the MLB Players Union and the MLB get through this, it'll be absolutely interesting uh, about the future as far as uh, guys making money in this league. But it is there, well, and, folks. And the revenue sharing that, that you brought up is absolutely one of the driving elements of this collective bargaining agreement because the owners want expanded playoffs and the players want a piece of that, piece of that action because that's, that's where the money comes from Major League Baseball from the national TV deals is when you get into the playoffs. And the players don't want to be playing for free or be waiting for, you know, penance at the end of the World Series to get, you know, their food money taken care of through the offseason. So um, so you're right. I mean, you're going to have a knockdown drag out. But the good news is, uh, you know, Lindor and Tatis signed their deals post-pandemic. Trevor Bauer signed his deal post-pandemic. 
So Major League Baseball hasn't stopped spending money. But again, it's the big market teams that are doing it. So uh, it will be very interesting to see, you know, if there's a way to balance the equation. Uh, and without going on a complete side tangent, making this a five-hour line drive radio, we'll, we'll <laughs> as we get closer to the offseason, we'll spend more time on the business of the game. But it, Major League Baseball should have, years ago, adopted the something along the lines of what the National Hockey League has done with a, a ceiling and a floor. And actually, uh, Bob Costas wrote a book. Uh, you can still go out there and read it. I recommend it, even though it's, I think, 25 years old at this point. Uh, it's titled The Fans Case for Baseball, and it was coming out of the lockout in the mid-'90s. And he made a case that if Major League Baseball really wanted to have parity and really wanted to have a level playing field, they needed to have more revenue sharing and they needed to have a ceiling and a floor so that teams were financially inclined to invest in homegrown stars so that you don't have Tampa and Kansas City watching their best players spend the first six, seven years of their career there and then either getting traded out like they did with Snell or leaving as a free agent, uh, you know, like other players have. So, very interesting dynamics there. Uh, we'll see what this new CBA looks like, but it's going to be a knockdown drag out. And with stuff like the sticky hand situation and the way that Major League Baseball's dealt with a number of things, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really tough, a brutal negotiation. And I think all of us, both of us here at Line Drive Radio and, and every fan, hopes that both sides of that negotiation keep their head out of their hind parts and understand that any missed games uh, would be a soul-crushing issue for Major League Baseball, and that they, again, get them on the field, have the best players, maybe the best collection of talent you've ever had on the field doing what they can do best. Absolutely. Uh, so, go ahead, Ted, before you finish up there. No, just to you off. Get, get them on the field. If you take them off the field, it's really hard to come back. And frankly, the NHL's had as many lockouts as they have. That's why... The best players in the National Hockey League are making $10, $11 million, not $30, $40 million. Because <laughs> once a decade, you get 30 games off because the owners and players are pissing at each other. So um, Major League Baseball, Players Association, Tony Clark, Rob Manfred, do the right thing. Get your crap together and get it done quick so that we can have baseball on time next year. Yes, and I just want to throw some uh, other numbers up here real quick up against this class of uh, 2011 and the uh, the $2 billion draft class, as you noted. Uh, just in terms of team values here, just a couple. Uh, the Yankees are still number one. Their team value is at $6.75 billion. This is 2021, uh, followed by the Red Sox that are $4.8 billion. They're worth $4.8 billion. The Dodgers follow them at $4.62 billion. Your Chicago Cubs are estimated value at $4.14 billion. And the San Francisco Giants at three point four nine billion. The least valuable of the MLB teams are the Miami Marlins, and who are still estimated to be worth one point twelve billion dollars. So I know you're talking about CBA and get this thing done, but I have a feeling the average, uh, you know, all thirty clubs, the average MLB franchise is now set to be worth in U.S. dollars two point two billion. They can hang out a little bit if they need to. <laughs> the owners can. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you, you know, players can make the money. You can't keep them from spending it. And the reality here is very simple. Coming out of the pandemic, 85% of Major League uh, Baseball players aren't making $30 million a year. And minor league players, as we've talked about in the past, 
are not making a livable wage still. So think about baseball in the macro. Minor league baseball players need to be taken care of. Major league baseball, the average salary is over a million dollars, but you know that takes into consideration a lot of factors. You're averaging thirty million with eight hundred thousand. Um, still eight hundred thousand, not a lot to sneeze at. But when you're in a locker room with guys that can buy Bentleys for everybody in their neighborhood, it's hard to keep up with the Joneses. So, um, and a lot of them don't necessarily plan uh, incredibly well. Uh, many do, but lots of them don't. So. Um, you know, any kind of lockout would be detrimental to the health of the game long-term at this point. So many good, exciting young players. Keep them on the field. Please. Figure it out. Start getting your ducks in a row now. And as owners, if you're worth billions of dollars, I get it. You got in the position that you can buy the team because you were a shrewd business person. Or, you know, in the case of the Cubs, your dad was. Um and you're going to continue to be a shrewd business person because that's what made you a billionaire. At the same time, you also have to understand that uh, there are areas where you can be equitable in negotiations. And I, that's why I say it's not 100% Rob Manfred. Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association, has to come to the table as well. And that both sides need to negotiate in good faith uh, for the health of the game. Because there are elements that need to be dealt with. Uh, there are areas that need to be improved. Uh, but it shouldn't cost you part of a season. You should be able to work these things out and take care of it. Um, but all of that has to be dealt with this off season, And unfortunately, we're heading into an off season where a lot of people on the player side uh, have some frayed edges because of ways that things have been dealt with recently, especially uh, the sticky substance issue with the pitchers. Pulling the plug on that midseason did not sit well with just about anybody in baseball. Uh, but there's a lot of other things in play here that need to be worked out, like revenue sharing on the postseason dollars, expanding the playoffs, a universal DH, all that stuff. And we will have other shows down the line in LDR where we dig into the business. Uh, but again, Tony Clark, Rob Manfred, we're pointing both of you, stern shaking of the finger as my grandma used to do. <laughs> do your jobs. Keep baseball on the field, please. And maybe find a little money in there to pay the fans to come to the games. Give us a little cut, too. Might be a, yeah. I think there's a little money in there for us, yeah, too. But. Bare minimum, throw a couple hundred thousand at Line Drive Radio. You know, keep you food go. on the table. Keep the ashtrays full. <laughs> the cigars aren't paying for themselves, people. That's true. My God. All right. Well, before we shut down the concession stands here, pull the bases, turn the lights off, and turn the sprinklers on before we leave the stadium. At Line Drive Radio. We always like to do tabs, fantasy, add-on of the week. That's MLB Fantasy Add-on of the Week. And Tab always, always has a winner for you. So get the pads out, the pens, the pencils, tape recorders, whatever you got to do. But here we go. Take it away, Tab. Who we add to the list? Who we add to the team this week? Speaking of keeping cigars in the ashtrays at Line Drive Radio. Uh, again, we'll forward out the PayPal information at the end of the season. So if you have listened to us here at Line Drive Radio, and in April you said, hey, Tab said we should add Cedric Mullins to our fantasy team. Maybe we should do that. You might be in a good spot right now. Pay attention to what the fat kid says. This week's fantasy ad of the week uh, comes to you from the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're bottom feeding this week. Um, lots of injuries out there. 
Uh, Yasmani Grandal goes down for the White Sox. People are looking for help all over their fantasy rosters as more and more players find themselves on the 10-day disabled list, injured list. Um, ben Gamble, uh, who had been a highly touted prospect before he got to Pittsburgh, uh, goes to Pittsburgh. He might be a, a name that some teams that are dealing with injuries consider at the trade deadline. This could be a buy and stash move uh, for your fantasy squad if he's a guy that's playing well enough that a team that in need looks to add a guy who's hot. Ben Gamble, uh, eight for his last 26 at the plate, 12 of his last 44 over the last two weeks with five homers, 10 runs scored, 10 runs batted in. Uh, he's got eight RBI in the last week. Swinging a hot stick for the Pirates. And here's the fun part. He is owned in 1%. He is part of the 1%. Where is the love? Not the 1% that owns Major League Baseball teams. He's owned by 1% of (laughs) Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So if you are in one of the 99% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues, that Ben Gamble is still available, and you're dealing with injuries like so many other people, consider Ben Gamble, outfielder Pittsburgh Pirates, this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. Go get him. Put him on there. Writing it down now. Look at that. Pirates. Pirates getting some love here on LBR today. Hey, you know, I, I advocated for a certain second baseman going to Denver, and he's headed. He might be traded at the deadline. He could be a big piece. When do we get there, Tab? When when we start um, seeing all these moves, man? I think next week on Line Drive Radio we're going to start talking about some moves because I think so some t- so I, I think I think some teams are going to start moving. You know, I was at the All Star game uh, when Manny Machado came out in an Orioles hat for the last time and took a direct flight to L.A. straight from the stadium. Uh, <laughs> was traded to the Dodgers. Uh, came out onto the field with uh, at that point Dodger Matt Kemp. Um, Usually you get to the all-star break and the GM start making phone calls and they start assessing where they're at. Uh, and for some teams, you know, I, I think previous shows, I said, you know, the Cubs schedule loosens up a little bit in May. So or, or in uh, July, May was relatively easy. July or June was a barn burner. July it loosens up. So maybe they'll go back to playing like they did in May and make it interesting again. That has not been the case. It looks like the for sale sign is going to be up at Wrigley and a few other places. So, uh, I'm guessing once we put the All-Star game in the rearview mirror, uh, you know, next week on Line Drive Radio, we'll talk about Tuesday night's All-Star game. I'm sure we'll have some thoughts on the Futures game and Shohei and the Home Run Derby. Uh, but we'll also be looking ahead uh, to the final three weeks of the month in which the futures of fan bases will be placed on a platter uh, and the for sale signs and the shopping will begin to be activated uh, and it becomes a really exciting time for baseball with a draft in the rearview mirror, the home run derby, the futures game, watch the futures game on Sunday. That's always great. Jason Dominguez of the Yankees will be there. Uh, and then the all-star game on Tuesday night. And then we turn our shift, our focus to the trade deadline. So exciting times to come here on line drive radio. Yeah. It's a great point of the season and uh, we're here for it. Don't forget the draft on Sunday night. You know, it's going to be some, uh, some good stuff. And get those little leaguers. Get them out. Stretch them. Get them going. There's lots of money to be made in MLB. There's no offseason, kids. Just because the House League games have come to a close doesn't mean that that picnic <laughs> is that when you put the mothballs on the on the glove and put it in storage. Go out. Throw it around. Go to a minor league game. Go, go watch the next generation. Go see some of the names that might be traded. 
good to help your team before the deadline. Uh, and uh, and certainly, certainly, certainly enjoy watching the game. That's what it's all about. That's what we do here at LDR. We enjoy watching and talking about it. And, I yeah, I'm looking for next week's going to be a lot of fun. Do a big re- recap on, on everything that's going on this weekend and obviously the All-Star game and all the fun stuff. So uh, hopefully you'll all come back here as you always do every week, and we appreciate it. Once again, thanks to the Revolver Podcast Network for having us a part of uh, – they're a great uh, network of shows, and make sure you check them out, too, at revolverpodcast.com. So, on behalf of Mr. Tab Bamford, yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, from the great city of Chicago and New York, we bid you adieu. And, Tab, please, say goodbye, folks. Well, folks, if, uh, if you have a chance, uh, please send your resume to care of Wrigley Field, the Chicago Cubs. If you can throw a couple innings. Uh, because you're needed. Now that Eric Sogard's hurt, uh, more position player innings pitched than closer innings pitched in the last week and a half. Cubs need help. Watch something else. But if you watch anything, make sure it's baseball. Absolutely. All right. Play ball, everybody. LDR is out. Stay safe out there. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.